When we talk about hospitality, I always think about Wendy's in Welland, Ontario. I think I was 17 years old, and our youth pastor had left our church about a year beforehand. And uh, kind of by default, I had become the youth leader slash pastor. <laughs> and at that time, what I would do is I would try to visit other uh, youth ministries and just try to make some friends and receive some teaching so that I wasn't just pouring out all the time. Uh, and there was a lot of other stuff going on. Uh, we had some sick relative living at my house and, you know, school and all the normal stuff. Uh, and so it was, it was really challenging to visit different places because, you know, sometimes you just you'd be part of a program and that was kind of it, or like the adult leaders would welcome you and that was it. But I remember at this uh, youth ministry in Welland, Ontario, someone's like, hey, do you want to come with us to Wendy's afterwards? And it wasn't just that, it was that at Wendy's they actually were like interested in who I was and actually uh, introduced me to other people. I just remember the sense of welcome that was created by someone who took the time to say, would you come with us to this place? And instead of just being a visitor or somebody who was just checking it out, somebody who was a stranger, um, really took the step and that I became not just a stranger in that moment, but a friend. And that's the core of hospitality, that we're having a place, creating a space, creating a moment where somebody turns from a stranger into a friend. And as Christians with hospitality, we know that's what God has done for us, right? But when we were strangers, God called us friends. When we were far away, we were brought near by the blood of Christ. And so our hospitality flows out of what Christ has done for us. This is the teaching text today from Hebrews 13, and we're going to go back to this a couple times. And these two things are related. Hebrews 13, 1 to 2. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. See, like most Christians, I've heard these things. Maybe you have too. I'm leaving the church. It's too liberal for me. You keep focusing on all these justice issues and all these things that aren't just the core of the gospel. Or I'm leaving the church. It's too conservative. You're too focused on things that are too harsh for people and aren't sensitive to the issues that people are facing today. We're in a time of incredible division in our culture and the church. And, you know, of course, with the events of the last couple of years with COVID and, of course, lots of different political events, there's different times things have peaked. Um, but I think it's fair, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that there's been some sort of shared cultural trauma that we're living in. We are at a, a time of high division, high reactivity, high jumping to a quick definition of our positions, our identity, our stances on things. Even the most recently, right, with the her horrific um, things that have happened in Israel and Gaza, right, everyone's so quick to say, well, this is my position on it. And if you don't see things the exact same as me, then you're wrong and you're evil and I can't be friends with you, right? Like there's just this incredible division, not only in what's happening in culture, but in our immediate reactions, our immediate stances, our immediate need to say that we're right and defend what we're right on. This is fragmentation of culture. And so this hostility and fear and division has become the norm. Um, it's a real us versus them. In psychological terms, it's a real othering, right? We do a lot of othering of other people in this culture. And Christians are not immune to this, right? Because even as Christians, we still fall so easily into the idea of this in-group mentality and this out-group mentality. And not based on necessarily what Christ has done for us, but just our family, our culture, our values, the ideas that we have. 
Uh, we create in-groups and out-groups all the time, which are far from how Christ looks at people and far from how God looks at people. And I, I fall into this too. Um, one psychologist said that, you know, when you start fearing others, because fear is part of this, your circle of who you can as friends is going to shrink. And that means those people outside of the bounds get less empathy. They get fewer resources, right? We participate in having people be us and them and be others. We participate in things like dehumanization, right? Think that people are, well, well they're, they're, they're less human. They, 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 aren't, they don't have the empathy. They don't have the understanding that we do. Um, there's groups that call for the elimination of other groups, right? We're in a culture where it's, that's being said, that's be, it's being a part of some group's reason for existence. We live in a city where part of our history is that assimilation was attempted, right, with residential schools and with the Indian Act, the idea that they would assimilate people into the larger Canadian culture, and because of that, they would just absorb them. And this idea of us and them, in and out, is so antithetical to what Christ has done for us and what God has done when he's reconciled us to him. Uh, there's a book called Tribe. It's a pretty famous book. It's been on my library shelf to read, but I haven't read, haven't read it yet. But here's one quote from it by the author, Sebastian Junger. He says, we live in a society that's basically at war with itself. People speak with incredible contempt, depending on their views about the rich, the poor, the educated, the foreign-born, the president, or the entire government. It's a level of contempt that is usually reserved for enemies in wartime except that now it's applied to our fellow citizens. That's the level of cultural dialogue that we're at. Unlike criticism, contempt is particularly toxic because it assumes a moral support, superiority in the speaker. When we hold contempt of other people, it's a toxic thing because we think we're morally superior and we can hold others in contempt. Contempt is often directed at people who have been excluded from a group or declared unworthy of its benefits. For me, it's one of the biggest things in my heart when I go to prayer. I'm like, God, is my heart being hard towards a certain person? Am, am I having some type of contempt where I feel like I'm superior and I'm directing a, a hatred or a disdain for them? And that is one of the things where I am, it's like, God, if that's there, like, it's like looking at a cockroach, like, God, get it. Get that thing. It is toxic. It is deadly. I do not want that in my heart, right? That disdain, that contempt for other people. But, you know, okay, for Christians, in our, in our prayer time, talking to God, we may have this idea, right, that like we should have God deal with our contempt. But what do you do in our relationships? H how do we disrupt a culture of hostility and contempt? How do we move towards healing? And I love the one phrase they had in the series as we're working through this missional life series and uh, using a lot of their outlines for sermons, and it was that we show hospitality as Christians. Hospitality in a time of hostility. Hospitality in a culture of hostility. Because hospitality is creating a place of welcome, a culture of welcome, a moment of welcome, where it transforms the stranger into a friend. It's a place and a moment, but for our guests, it's a shift in their identity. People move from the other, the stranger, to somebody who is a friend, who is a guest. So hospitality our word hospitality, when we, we translate for words in the Bible, is basically this, love of the stranger. So the Greek construction is a compound word, right? It's philia, xenos, or philo, xenos, love of, xenos, the stranger, the other. That's what it is in Greek. So if you have philia, right, like, that's like the friendship love. That's saying, like, I love a certain person. So we get the word, you know, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. 
Um, and it's basically, there's not a romanticness to it. There's not an erotic part to it. This is, I love somebody and I love a specific person, but it's, it's a friendship. And as Christians, we show hospitality, we're showing love of the stranger. Hospitality. And Latin, our word hospital comes from a home for strangers, right? So the Latin has, has, has a very similar root word here of a home for strangers is a hospital. What we're doing when we show hospitality is we're creating a place for strangers. And a hospital is a home for strangers. So an environment of welcome, as a Christian, we create a place or a moment or a time to welcome someone, where somebody who is a stranger is now a guest and a friend. That conversion of identity, that's biblical hospitality. And the great part is, you know, Jesus didn't need a home to do this, right? Jesus was somebody who could feed 5,000 people. And he could create a moment and a welcome where people were his guests. He could even say, Zacchaeus, I'm going to go eat at your house today. And, and somebody who normally wouldn't have been able to talk to Jesus or host him, Jesus broke down the cultural barrier and said, no, I'm actually going to eat with you. I know that normally somebody like me wouldn't eat with you, but I want to eat with you. And I'm actually going to be a guest at your house. And in that, he showed that hospitality that instead of saying, no, no, you're somebody that I won't touch, that I won't go near, that I shouldn't be associating with, Zacchaeus, I'm going to eat at your house today. And he created an environment where Zacchaeus' identity could be transformed. And he could meet Jesus and become a follower of Jesus. And say, if I cheated anybody, I'm going to pay him back four times as much. So Jesus showed hospitality. In the Bible, we see people like um, Abraham showing hospitality to strangers, right? Hospitality to the angel of the Lord. It was a part of ancient Near Eastern culture. Uh, this creation of hospitable space, even when things were very hostile for travelers. And then for Christians, this becomes more than just a cultural norm or an ancient Near East norm or something that they used to do, but it becomes reflective of how God sent Christ to welcome us and how in Christ he did hospitality as well to show that's what he came to do. There's a lady named Christine Pohl, and she's written a book, or she's written, written a few books about hospitality. And I was talking to one of the moms in my Bible study group a few, a few months ago. She's like, oh, yeah, I've read this book. It's really good. So it's another one on my list. I'm like, I've got to do these hospitality books. I, I'm kind of, kind of got the short list to read now. But this is a quote from her book. And she says this, even among Christians, many of the current discussions about poverty and welfare, inclusion and diversity, scarcity and distribution, are conducted without the benefit of any coherent theological framework. We'll talk about these things, but we don't, we don't get how they fit into who God is and what he's done for us and what he's called us to be. So often the result is that our stands on complex social or public policy concerns are little affected by our deepest Christian values and commitments. Hospitality as a framework provides a bridge which connects our theology with daily life and concerns. God has shown us as strangers true hospitality. We were the stranger. God welcomed us into the Garden of Eden and placed us there. And then when we alienated ourselves, cut ourselves off from God, ran and hid, what did God do? Made us close, right? We couldn't be in this place where we could live forever despite sin without the work of Jesus. But what God still did was he made clothes for people and said that there was a place they could go. What happened in Exodus was that there was a people who were, again, without hope, were enslaved, and God said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to free you, and I'm going to send you into a promised land. I'm going to create a place that you can go, and your identity won't be slaves anymore. It will be my people. There is a place of welcome for you, and there's a conversion of identity, 
And people can join, by the way. You can join the people of God when you make God into the promised land. And so when God brought them into their nation, they weren't just, you know, kind of recommended to be hospitable. It wasn't just like, well, you know, maybe you should be hospitable. It'd be what nice people do. But they were commanded in their law to show hospitality that had been shown to them. So there was hospitality to strangers. There was very specific hospitality to foreigners that showed up at their door. That's like Leviticus 19 and Exodus 22. One commentator says, the Israelites were commanded to treat foreigners well because of their own background as foreigners in Egypt. And, and as Christians, what can happen, what certainly has happened in my life, is we can forget what we were before God saved us. We think we're the insiders, right? So we can project scripture in distorted ways like, oh yeah, I, I, I'm a, I, I was always in, so I should always welcome people. But we forget that before Jesus, we were outsiders. We were without hope and without God in the world. Ephesians 2.12 says, Remember at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. When we read like Jesus just came to like reaffirm our belonging and acceptance, we're missing the point. We weren't part of things until God sent Jesus. Until God grafted us into his people and said, now is the time for me to extend my salvation to the ends of the earth, to welcome those who are strangers and bring them near by the blood of Christ. And sometimes with our hearts, the reason we jump so quickly to contempt or disdain or dismissal or being entrenched in our positions above the people that we know is that we forget who we were before we met Christ, right? And Jesus' ministry was defined by showing hospitality to others. So again, he eats with sinners, he tells the parable, you know, the good Samaritan, this person that they would think was the other, but he's actually the one who's the hero of the story and shows hospitality. The parables of the coin and the sheep and the son talk about God saying, I'm going to search for what's lost and I'm going to bring it back. I'm going to welcome the stranger. And I'm going to look for the one, even if it means leaving the 99. That's in contrast to, again, a lot of the culture at the time, the in and the out groups, how the Jews viewed the Samaritans how the Pharisees viewed other people. See, the Pharisees showed conditional hospitality, right? You could go to their feasts, right, if you were invited, and then they would rank you exactly about where you would sit. And the Pharisees would call outsiders, the Gentiles, dogs. They wouldn't even acknowledge their presence as people before Yahweh. But Jesus tore those boundary markers down. He replaced them with this radical wisdom and hospitality that just reverberates through the world today. When Jesus had his inauguration of his ministry in Luke 4, he said, what did I come to do? to give sight to the blind, to free the oppressed, to declare the year of the Lord's favor. God came for those who were on the margins to welcome them and bring them in. And so when we create hospitality, when we have places and moments where people can belong, when their conversion is from a stranger to a friend to a guest, we're doing what Jesus has done. We're doing what God has done for us. I love the story the pastor tells uh, when they did this sermon series originally about one time he was in a taxi in New York City, that's where he lives. And the driver got into this conversation and he realized that he was from a country where there had been some political tension between that country and the United States. And just got to you know, hear a bit of his story and talk to him about his family and his kids and some of his hopes. And then they drove by, when it had just opened recently in New York, the Chick-fil-A. And he said, hey, have you ever had Chick-fil-A? And the taxi driver's like, no, I haven't. He's like, okay. Would it be okay with you if we leave the meter running? Can I go in and buy us both lunch? We'll leave the meter running. You'll get paid for it. And we can just have lunch and talk. 
And the driver's like, oh, okay. So they do that. They leave the meter running. He goes in. He gets Chick-fil-A for them both. They open up, you know, they park, park the taxi. And in the cab, they eat Chick-fil-A. And this person from a country who, again, had had, you know, political tension with the states and people were often othering people from that culture and having, you know, suspicious assumptions about them. He said, in half an hour, you know, that person became a friend. And I thought, man, what a great illustration, right, of creating this portal of belonging in a taxi in New York City. It's not about entertaining, right? It's not about hospitality in this, like, North American homemaking sense. It's what do you have where you are to create a place of welcome where somebody's identity can be converted from a stranger into a guest and a friend? You're humanizing somebody, right, through contact. And so I don't know what it looks like for you. I know talking with Jared sometimes about the steel plant, it just often can be like, hey, do you want to grab lunch and sit in the same place? I know for my kids, it can be like, hey, do we want to invite a bunch of kids over for a play date on PA day? It's going to be a little crazy, but you may as well, right? There was last year, about a year ago, I'm like, we just bought 24 cobs of corn from the Mennonites because it was the best deal. Okay, so now we've got to invite a bunch of people over to eat this together, right? And we made a point of inviting different people that didn't know each other yet, and then through that, they became friends. It can be cobs of corn. It can be a plate. It can be your lunch. But God's going to place things for you where you can create these portals of belonging to welcome people, that their identity can be, go from a stranger into a friend. On Tuesday, as a church, we're going to do hospitality to our neighborhoods, right? We're going to light the night. We're going to take home coffee and hot chocolate and glow sticks. And if you're not doing it at your house, you can always go help somebody else. Talk to me if you haven't plugged into one yet. I know we've got a few people uh, going to other addresses already. And what are you going to do? You're going to set up a table. You're going to hand things out, and you're going to have conversations. You're going to create a portal of belonging in your front yard where people aren't just strangers or neighbors or people at a different address, but people are going to become guests and friends, because we're showing the hospitality that God has done for us. Henry Nouwen, guys quoted a lot, great, uh, great guy to read. One of the first leaderships I, I, leadership books, books that I, I read in um, college was talking about his view of leadership and just how it's so opposite to a lot of the, the fame and the ideas of more power and more um, doing more and being more. And I really value that as being one of the first leadership books that I read in college as part of being a resident advisor. But he says this on hospitality and what our job is. He says, our society seems to be increasingly full of fearful, defensive, aggressive people anxiously clinging to their property and inclined to look at the surrounding world with suspicion, always expecting an enemy to suddenly appear, intrude, and do harm. But still this, this is our vocation to convert the enemy into a guest, and to create the free and fearless space where brotherhood and sisterhood can be formed and fully experienced. So how do we practice that? How do we do that? Is it just, is it just things once in a while? Is it just to people who don't share our faith? Hebrews 13, 1 and 2 ties it together as hospitality in the church and outside the church. So in the church, right? Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Above all, love one another deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. That's 1 Peter 4, 8 to 10. Hospitality starts with our family, right? And I don't need to tell us that the division and suspicion and even disdain and contempt 
can creep into our relationships among the family of God. And showing hospitality to each other is the Christian call, just as much as showing hospitality to those who do not yet know Christ. Sky Jathani says this about where our, what our homes should be. We've already went over the one part of the Latin, so forgive me for going over it again. He says, the English word hospitality originates from the same Latin root as the word hospital. A hospital is literally a home for strangers. Of course, it has come to mean a place of healing. There's a link between being welcomed and being healed, and the link is more than just etymological, more than just a word. Our homes are to be hospitals, refuges of healing radiating the light of, radiating the light of heaven. And this next line, our dinner tables are to be operating tables, the place where broken souls are made whole again. In the churches, people should find rest from their battle for acceptance and release from the lie that they are nothing more than the goods they possess. When we lower our defenses, when we remove our facades and we begin to be truly present with one another, then the healing power of the gospel can begin its work. We're supposed to love each other deeply. We're supposed to offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Hospitality is important both with our brothers and sisters in the faith and those who don't know Jesus yet. Augustine had a sign on his wall, uh, St. Augustine, that read, he who speaks evil of an absent man or woman is not welcome at this table. He set the tone for the gatherings, right? That when you're gathered, you're going to be somebody who's there to build up to love each other as a brother or sister, somebody who is there for the good of those around you. There's a, um, an author who wrote this book called The Art of Gathering. Her name is Priya Parker. And she was talking about the people that, um, that lead great gatherings. All these you know, step-by-steps, right, of like setting the purpose for the gathering, seeing who your guests are going to be, like all these really helpful things. And she's going through like all the skillful people doing different gatherings, whether it's like a, you know, a, a kid's birthday party or this really fancy event for like international dignitaries. And as she was going through all of these steps, I'm like, you know who does this really well? This one guy I know that runs a board game night every week. And he, they, him and his wife have a, a, a shop on Queen Street downtown. They live in an apartment above the shop. They have the shop on the main floor. And in the basement, every night they run a board game. Or every, every, every Monday night they run this board game gathering. And Jared and I have been going to this for uh, six, seven years now. And I'm just like, no, this guy can do all of this. And here's this guy who's a Christian. He definitely has the gift of hospitality. And it doesn't look like a dinner party. It doesn't look like a fancy corporate event. It looks like a board game night with mostly a bunch of dudes. But this guy is showing hospitality. It's naturally hitting all these boxes of what makes a great gathering. And I'm like, this is amazing. And it's one thing that's a blessing to people who are Christians and ones who aren't. So that extends to you in the world. That's the second verse in Hebrews. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Anybody know the old Newsboy song, Entertaining Angels? That was like a classic Christian tune, I don't know, 25 years ago? It was, it was a long time ago. This idea, right, that you might have entertained an angel without knowing it. Like, what? <laughs> I have no idea what's going to happen when we get to heaven and when Christ says, oh, by the way, that person? There's a story Jared and I have told a few times of when we, before we had kids, we had some spare bedrooms. We'd rent them to people and... Uh, you know, they'd often they'd be empty in between that. And a friend of ours contacted us, and he says, I have these two brothers from Belgium, and they contacted me on couch surfing. 
And Couchsurfing is a website where people can stay at your house for free. But we can't host them tonight because we've got somebody else here or something else going on. Could you host these two people? We're like, oh, I don't know. It's, it's been a long week. I, I don't think we can just randomly host two guys from Belgium. Um, so we went like downtown to some street party on Queen, and we were like, again, just pretty tired from the week, just walking around. And they were like, these guys in front of us are talking. These two guys are from Belgium. It's the brothers. Okay, you know what, God? I get it. I, I'm pretty sure we're supposed to host these guys. So we talked to them. We're like, hey, you know, I, I, th I, think, I think our friend tried to put us in contact. Oh, yeah, you guys can come over. Okay. And we hosted these two guys, right? And it, again, it was, didn't end up being that hard, and it was a great blessing in the end. But, like, who knows, right? Who knows how many of these contacts and these people are showing the love of Christ, are demonstrating some, something of who we are to people? And how many times is God like, you don't even know what that's going to mean in eternity? <laughs> because in the Bible, we have angels as messengers, right? Abraham entertains people, and it turns out to be an angel of God. The Last Supper they have, and it's with Jesus himself. The road to Emmaus, they're talking with a stranger on the road. And then finally, after all of this talking and inviting, oh, that was Jesus, Right? And a lot of times, we don't have the fairest assessment of the people that we meet, especially when they're strangers, until we've offered hospitality, until we've said, okay, if God's leading me to, to extend a space, to extend an invitation, then that might be the time where God illuminates by his Holy Spirit what's going on here. There's a, uh, a testimony I'm going to tell in a minute from a lady called Rosaria Butterfield. And you might have heard her testimony. She has a book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. I don't think this one is on the screen. Um, but she says, in the past, Christians have set their boundaries according to their checkbook and according to their calendar. But in a post-Christian world, we're called to set our boundaries according to the blood of Christ. So here's her story, if you haven't heard it before. Um, as she self-describes, this is how she's talking about herself, um, she was a radical leftist atheist professor. Uh, she was a lesbian, she was happily in a partnership, was very happy with her job, uh, and, she, and she was teaching at a university and authored some books, um, and she was a justice advocate. So she considered herself, again by your own self-description, as a hater of conservative Christians. And then the conservative Christians held a Promise Keepers event in her town. If you ever heard of Promise Keepers, it was this event that used to happen, I don't think it still does, where men would get together and they would pledge, you know, faithfulness in their marriages and um, to work hard and different things. And, and she was not a fan of this at all. So she wrote an article in her local newspaper just decrying, you know, like the patriarchy of it and really just did not agree with anything that was going on. And as it was a strongly worded article, she received a lot of strongly worded mail in return. And so she had two piles of letters. The first was a supporter, like, absolutely, like, you should say this, right on, go get them. And then the second pile was the hate mail, so fan mail and hate mail. And the second pile was like, who are you to say this? You're going to hell. God's going to judge you. And one day she got a letter that didn't fit either pile. And it was a letter from a local pastor. His name was Ken. And it, it challenged her assumptions and presuppositions. He challenged what she, what she said and, and, and pictured it apart. But he was also kind and inquiring, she said. So she just didn't know what to do with it, didn't know which pile it would fit, so she threw it in her trash bin. And then she fished it out. And then it sat in her desk for a week. 
because the letter came with an invitation to dinner. And as she says, Ken's letter of opposition was the kindest one I'd ever received. I also liked the fact that Ken had the right pedigree to help me with my research. And she talks about the mindset she had of like, this was gonna be deep sea diving, like I expect this to be a toxic environment, but I'm gonna put on my oxygen mask and I'm gonna go and see who these people really are. I'm gonna go get into it. So she went to his house, expecting it to be good research for doing, research, doing a book in the religious right. But you know, who are these Christians who put a dead book above good people, right? And she said, the prospect made me sick to my stomach. I breathed hard and hoisted myself out of my truck, nursing a tender hamstring for my morning run. I waded through the unusually thick July humidity to the front door and I knocked. And when she arrived, she noted that they respected her food choices and what she would and wouldn't eat. They didn't put on the AC to consider her environmental choices. And they affirmed the goodness of the desires of her heart but not the holiness or rightness of her life. And as she says, something else happened. Ken and his wife, Floyd, became friends with me. They entered my world. They met my friends. We did book exchanges. We talked openly about sexuality and politics. They did not act as if such conversations were polluting them. And they did not treat me like a blank slate. When we ate together, Ken prayed in a way that I'd never heard before. His prayers were intimate, vulnerable, he repented of his sin in front of me. Thank God for all things. Ken's God was holy and firm, and yet full of mercy. And in this situation, the uh, Ken and Floyd discerned that inviting her to church would push her further away. And so she writes, And because Ken and Floyd did not invite me to church, I knew it was safe to be friends. The threshold to their life was like none other. The threshold to their life brought me to the foot of the cross. So she ends up being open to reading the scriptures. She ate 126 meals with Ken and Floyd over the next several years. And finally, she came to Jesus. She surrendered her life. She shifted her identity. She left her job. And now, as a Christian, she has a book. She's written different things about her testimony. And one of her major gifts and things she writes and speaks about is hospitality, ordinary hospitality. Not entertaining, not showy, but just what it means to let God use you and your life and your home. Ken and Floyd created an environment of welcome that led to the conversion of identity from a stranger, from an enemy, to a friend, and finally someone who met Christ and became a child of God. Environment of welcome, conversion of identity, that's biblical hospitality. How many people do we know who are hungry for God? But division and hatred and misinformation keep people apart. We're, we're at a cultural deficit here, right? We lack credibility as Christians. And hospitality is one way that we bridge the gap. Alan Hirsch says this, conversation invites friendship, provokes intrigue, promotes mutual quests, weaves story with opinion, extends a listening ear, and offers something of the self in the equation. At best, it's done around tables or in places of social engagement. And make no mistake, it's a powerful way of missionally engaging people. If every Christian family in the world simply offered good conversational hospitality around a table once a week to neighbors, 
we would eat our way into the kingdom of God. What could Sault Ste. Marie look like if we were continually creating environments of welcome? Not compromise, but ones where we have an environment of welcome according to who Christ is and who he's called us to be. Calling people who are strangers or others or enemies, guests and friends. Both individually, both as a church and just as we meet as a church, when we do things like Alpha or small groups or different things like that, right? What could the city look like if all of our churches and all of us individually got a vision for hospitality? Rosaria Butterfield says one more thing. Radically ordinary hospitality. Those who live it see strangers as neighbors and neighbors as the family of God. They recoil at reducing a person to a category or a label. They see God's image reflected in the eyes of every human being on earth. They take their own sin seriously, including the sin of selfishness and pride. They know they themselves are like meth addicts and sex trade workers. They take God's holiness and goodness seriously. They use the Bible as a lifeline with no exceptions. Those who live out radically ordinary hospitality see their homes not as theirs at all, but as God's gift to use for the furtherance of his kingdom. They open doors, they seek out the underprivileged, they know that the gospel comes with a house key. So as we close today, Jared's going to come up, we're going to sing another song, um, and I want to encourage us to just do three things. One is, ask God to search our hearts. Um, the Holy Spirit may have identified things as he has for me even this week of where that disdain and contempt has crept into my heart. And as happens with any sin, right, that we say, God, Holy Spirit, get it. I don't want that. I want you to root that out. I want you to give me your compassion and your perspective for people. And God, don't let my disdain or contempt be what drives God, but your perspective of welcome on people. Um, the second thing would be, um, say, God, I'm willing to open my life. I'm willing to do what you've done for me. And God, I just, I say yes to your invitation to be a person of hospitality, to create a portal of belonging, an environment of welcome with a conversion of identity. And the last thing is, I want to encourage you to, to get specific on that. Where can you do that this week? And you may be, again, feeling the Holy Spirit lead you to a lunchroom conversation, to opening up your home and inviting somebody over, to being part of a uh, October 31st and late the night, doing more things at the church for hospitality, whatever it is he's calling you to, just say, Holy Spirit, would you speak to me? That's the core of all these things. Holy Spirit, would you lead me and guide me in being a person of hospitality? Just God, as you show hospitality to me. Let's pray before Jared comes up. God, thank you that you welcomed us. We were without hope and without God in the world. And you gave us yourself. You created a way, God, for us to enter into you, to your, your presence. God, I pray that we would carry that, Lord. We know that it cost you yourself, God, that you had to die on the cross to reconcile us. God, I pray that we would carry the environment of welcome you've given us. And I pray, God, that you would help us give others the gift of not being called others or strangers, God, but being called friends. Not so that they can be led to just thinking we're great or looking at us, God, but that they're led to you and led to the foot of the cross. Help us do that individually and help us do it as your church in this city. In Jesus' name, amen.